Welcome to another Bite Side podcast. I'm Seamus Byrne. This is a show all about tech and games and all things digital culture. Joining me, as always, is Nick Healy. Nick, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Look, I just want to sort of dive in the deep end, really. Look, um, well, apart from acknowledging the fact that I was a giant fail last week, I've been ridiculously busy, and thankfully (laughs) I'm coming out the other side of what has been three months of crazy town. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us again. I hope you missed us, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Three months of crazy town sounds like the best Tom Waits album I never got to hear ever. Oh, yeah, actually, I've, I've got three tracks ready to go, so. <laughs> hey, one thing I did want to talk about, um, and look, you know, it was something that was happening the other week and we didn't get a chance to, but I was still fascinated by it. There was a bit of a thing going around on Twitter, which was what's something you remember from gaming that would confuse younger gamers? Yes. And I had a real laugh at it, but it really got me thinking about some of the things because the one that, for me, was code wheels. Remember when games would have rights protection where you'd actually have a decoder wheel where you'd have to match two symbols and then type in the word that was revealed? Um, I remember, uh, uh, yes, this is not what I should have been doing, but I remember carefully photocopying those in high school and then cutting out the right boxes and (laughs) all this way of circumventing the rights protection on a game that I had pirated. Yes, I freely admit that's not something I would do now. Um, Other people were talking about... I know. (laughs) There's a statute of limitations for piracy, surely. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Other people... No, God, probably not. Um, Other people were talking about having to, you know, to find the seventh line on the 14th page of the help book and type out the fourth word and things like that. Yeah. I didn't game a lot until high school. I think I just kind of missed, I leapfrogged a whole bunch of the old consoles. You know, I do remember playing Asteroids on a friend of the family's Atari, but then the next thing I was doing was gaming on an Apple computer. And I was wondering what what your one was. What was the thing you remember from gaming that would confuse younger gamers? Well, look, the one that I I tweeted because it felt like it it fit in a tweet quite nicely was um, having, having to learn... How, and I mean, right, it's like it's another piracy type one. Actually, this one related more to like the custom modding sort of side of things, but it was learning mm-hmm. how to split WAD files for Doom so that you could share the custom WADs because a WAD, W-A-D, was the file where like someone could make a custom level and you would have things like like the Simpsons mod where... Ned Flanders was now the you know the monster that shoots the fireballs, except he was throwing Bibles, you know, and, and so this stuff is getting shared around the playground. But it's like it it was bigger than like two megabytes, and so you had to split it across at least two, maybe sometimes three floppy disks. Um, and it was that first time of having to work out how do you, oh, there's like a thing you can get and it lets you split up a file so that then the file can be remerged when you load it off the disks back onto your computer. <laughs> It's so good. All that stuff. I remember someone else on Twitter was saying um, the answer was simply insert disk six to continue. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, just needing and to I'd, insert the next disc, disc in the storyline, yeah. Especially if you were using some of the old Apple computers. I remember that. It was like operating an old-timey telephone exchange. You were pumping discs in both hands, getting ready, making sure the next thing was loaded. <laughs> but it was all worth it. I yeah. remember those games still. It's really weird. The first game I ever finished ever, like completed, was Pools of Radiance on an oh, Apple wow. 2C. Yep. D&D. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I even think I ended up reading the book a couple of times, never as good as the novelization of Curse of the Azure Bonds, obviously. That's a classic. I think we can all agree on yes. that. Um, but that was, to me, it was really interesting because I never thought of myself as a gamer. I was then, you know, in my 20s when I got the job on PlayStation magazine. I'd never thought about gaming, didn't think I did, didn't think I enjoyed it. And then suddenly I'd go back to high school and I'd be like, oh, yeah, Ultima, and the other Ultima, and the other Ultima, and even just Wavy Navy, and even just things like that. They were all games that didn't feel like I was gaming. And and even yeah. now when I think of myself, oh, I'm not a PC gamer, I'm like, all you ever did was sit in front of an Apple computer and play games. <laughs> what, what do you mean you're not a PC gamer? Um, yeah. But my, my curiosity is, looking forward, what do you think the gamers of today are going to answer in 10 years' time? That's a really good question, where it's like what are the things people won't remember? Because actually... There's there's definitely something more today around the fact that games stick around so much longer. Like games as a service is sort of the new era. And so it's that idea of it's either, you know, the eternal sequels of Call of Duty, which is essentially your <laughs> annual subscription to to playing Call of Duty, um, or it's, you know, Minecraft, or it's, you know, all these other sorts of games where it's like, oh, yeah, you kids might not know about Minecraft. No, kids will always know about Minecraft. Minecraft is not always. going anywhere. <laughs> um, so uh. that is a really tricky question. Because one of the other things that I was thinking of was even just like arcade oddities, you know, um, like, you know, the old uh, nylon wallet to be able to run fast in, uh, you know, in Hyper Olympics or in any of those kinds of sports games. Um, that it's like, what? What do you mean? You kind of used to have to rub your fingers backwards and forwards across two buttons to go fast. Um, like there's all these kinds of oddities, but it, it's like games actually, they didn't stay around as long. They had their moments and then, and then sort of the next thing happened. Whereas it's a really good point that, that that sort of gap. I mean, there'll probably be elements of remember, like that. I do remember when a certain patch for Minecraft first launched. Yeah, or remember when you know RTX wasn't a thing. Maybe that'll be a thing for some kids. Mm. Like you know, once upon a well, time, we didn't have this ray traced fancy lighting system. <laughs> I was wondering if it was going to be something like remember loading screens. Because, you know, it, even now I find that I spend less time on a loading screen or it's more notable when I do. But go back not that far to the first Mass Effect and those elevators, boy, oh. those elevators took a long time. They like, were really have you ever wondered ships. about just- how the Protheans <laughs> died? They died in an elevator. <laughs> yeah, and I think you're right. Like I definitely know that my kids have had that experience of, you know, let's say, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since they last played something. They go to load it up and then it's like not, you know, as much as consoles say they have better auto-updating features, sometimes it just doesn't quite take. And it's often enough that my kids have definitely quite regularly had that moment where they're like, uh, like they go to sit down to play and then go, oh, 40 gigs. 
Um, <laughs> what am I going to do? I'll play something else. Or sometimes they'll yeah. even kind of just come back because, you know, they'll have a limited window that they get to play on a weekend or whatever. And they'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm just not going to start my game time yet because the game needs to update. Or particularly if they're trying to sync up with friends online. Like, because then it's like their friends have just started playing some game and asked them if they're going to jump on and join in. And then they discover that there's still an update. And they're like, so they know their friends are playing right now. And they're sitting there staring at a loading bar waiting for an update. So it's almost like less the loading screen and more the fact that hopefully over time, this updating side of things will get better. And particularly when we think about xbox game pass streaming type technology right then it's like Mm. maybe it's like oh this game hasn't run its update yet do you want to stream it while you're waiting for it to update like things like that are even weird little things that might be able to be so that almost becomes seamless if the tech is working correctly so that it's like oh yep we know you'll prefer to play it but right now you cannot play it because you need the update do you want to just start playing um by running the stream but is it just me or are we promised that constantly and it never seems to happen? Like, I'm sure I have auto update turned on and just every now and then I'll fire up the PlayStation and go, all right, well, I'll come back in half an hour when that's finished downloading. But I'm convinced I've told it to auto update. Look, Nick, I don't know what you're talking about because I've never been promised <laughs> graphics that are far better than the graphics that we actually get with the next generation of console or that, like, the you know, oh, that... That pre-rendered video looks amazing. And then, you know, I mean, what? Ubisoft, the classic, when people have done the comparisons of, you know, here's what the trailer look, uh, here's what the in-game, like the actual footage looks like at E3. And then yes. look at all the objects and the textures they had to take out for the final version to actually run on a console. <laughs> <laughs> oh, watchdogs. I still enjoyed you, but you were spanked hard for that one. Yeah. So I think you're right. There's definitely going to be a lot of, it, like, it's hard to place right now what it is. But I'm sure back in the day, we probably wouldn't have even realized what was going to change. So No, of course not. Yeah. Of course uh, not. Uh, okay, one last thing before right. we move on from this. What was the last old game you genuinely got back into? And by old, I mean, let's say, at least 10 years old. I play World of Warcraft every week. <laughs> oh, my God, you do. <laughs> okay, okay. Older that's, than World of Warcraft. Um... <laughs> well, not continually updated. So yeah, for yeah. me, it was Arcanum, which I love. Yeah, right. Absolutely love. Yeah. And, and can happily go back and play. And it's clunky and weird and the combat's unnecessarily tough and I really, really enjoy it. No, I got nothing. I can't think, you know, I, when I'm just looking for the thing that's going to scratch my itch then it's warcraft whereas um i you know now and then i'll kind of look at stuff and think oh i should go back and play grim fandango and then oh. i just don't, don't oh. it. i think psychonauts is now also available on a few more platforms so there's i reckon a lot of that old double fine stuff is probably you know that holds up quite nicely i, I imagine and Devin, that that kind of old school role-playing game is definitely that gap i feel like isn't really well filled in the current environment. You know, sometimes I even, I had, like, I did start the newer, like, there's an updated version of the original Baldur's Gate that you can get access to. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Baldur's Gate. Sorry, I meant um, Bard's Tale. I, as much as there is an updated Baldur's Gate that you can play on, like, iPads and iPhones and, you know, Android phones and all that. Um, 
But yeah, playing because remember they did the Bard's Tale sequels, but they were a totally different yeah. kind of game. And then there is now an addition that includes one that has updated graphics, but it's still that traditional, you're moving around the grid, you've got your kind of, you know, team of uh, of characters at the bottom of the screen. So they did sort of do a slightly updated, but still the actual original game version of that. And that's one that I do feel like actually, you know, in a completely different way, it's a pleasant old school experience. And look, I'm I'm looking forward to Wasteland Three, even though it's a new game. But I feel like it's got that really nice the RPGs of my youth. I'm really looking forward to it. I've got it pre-installed. I think August 28th, I can start playing it on Xbox. Not sure how it's going to go on a console. I've always done it with mouse and keyboard, but we'll give it a crack. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and look, we should. Oh yeah, I, I was going to come up with a really bad segue for us. Because I was going to say, yeah. we could probably find a lot more information about that by searching on Google, <laughs> if Google is still here in a few bum, months. Because it's at risk, Nick. It's it's definitely at risk. It's funny. I've actually not seen too many of those notifications that people are talking about. I don't know if it's because I do most of my Googling on my phone and it just hasn't come up and I used a baked-in Google on the Pixel. But, yes, people have been talking. People I know who don't talk about this sort of stuff have been chatting to me, trying to get my understanding of what is going on with Google, saying that sometime soon we might have to pay to be able to search for things. <laughs> yep. And that that's definitely that bit where they're like going, no, I mean, we didn't mean that by our open letter. And you're like, oh, if people no, no, are no. interpreting it that way, then, boy, you did a good job of scaring people about what might be going to happen soon. It's been a really interesting one. Look, obviously, there's the big backlash about the idea that Google, other people who benefit from Australian journalism, essentially, should be coughing up a little bit when it comes to search results. As someone who does expect their work to turn up in Google search results, how do you feel about that? Um, I Look, I am actually really, I'm not on Google's side. I'm not on anybody's side in this one, quite frankly, right? Because I think the Australian media landscape has done a terrible job of responding to how the internet works. And... Google is being an absolute ass when it comes to how it is responding to what is a really kind of stupidly framed way of trying to say, well, we think you should just owe money to media companies. It's like, really? Like, really? Is that is that how we fix this? That I, the, the non sequitur for me is the idea that it's like, yes, Google and Facebook achieved massive scale. They changed what the advertising industry is but that's not just like and so it's like media buying companies who used to have to buy ads in newspapers in print magazines all that sort of stuff went oh we can buy at scale incredibly targeted advertising that reaches exactly the demographic we're looking for there's less of that sense that we're kind of wasting half our money if we buy an ad in a newspaper because we're not even really sure what the numbers mean. It's like, yep, it's audited and stuff, but really, like, how exactly is that working versus here is, you know, laser-focused targeted information you get. So I'm like, they destroyed what was an advertising industry, which is a big part of how it all worked for all the old media industries. But it's like, is that, is it, did they steal that money from the media industry? I don't think so. I think that's just that horrible 
side product of the fact that advertising changed and it's like all those me like that the media companies stopped being able to convince the ad buyers that they had a really good premium quality option that people should still make sure they're kind of buying part of because this is a great way to reach a an engaged audience, blah, blah, blah. Like it felt like they just stopped making good arguments and now it's like going, well, it's all Google's fault and Facebook and they stole it. Now, there's plenty of other arguments about how, you know, Google News is kind of set up in a way that means a lot of people, they just get their headlines there and then bugger off and never click a thing. Um, So, Uh you know, um, the way that Google presents you know, a little snippet of an answer when you've searched for something again so you don't have to leave Google because they're not really helping the website that they've clipped that information from. Like, how many people actually would bother clicking through on that stuff? So there's so many layers where I'm like going, there's great arguments for how is this stuff being abused and and like outside of that core search product, Google probably needs to be told you can't just do this stuff for free. But it's more this way that it's like, well, you just owe people money. And that part of this threat is saying, and you're not even allowed to take your bat and ball and go home. We've decided that you have to make deals with the media companies um, and you're not allowed to just decide, well, what if we just didn't run Google News anymore? They're like, you're not allowed to do that. So it's kind of that thing of going, we know it's valuable, um, but also we think maybe you should be giving money, but you have to give money. And it's like, why don't we just tax them properly and then set up a better support mechanism (laughs) for Australian journalists? (laughs) Is it a definitional issue? You know, we still say search engine, but Google hasn't been a standard search engine. And, you know, the way we might think of going back to Yahoo and Alta Vista for years now. You don't just type in a term and then click a link, as you pointed out. And the longer we think of it that way, the more it narrows down our understanding of what they actually do. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And that's it. I think there's so many kind of like, I mean, one, I love that one of their, one of Google's arguments against it was like going, oh, we might have to change how the YouTube algorithm works in, in ways that is less helpful to what? you, the, the viewer. And it's like going, YouTube could be worse. Is that what you're trying to say? Because yeah. it's pretty awful. <laughs> Are you telling me you've got more Nazis you could show me? <laughs> yeah. Um, and look, same with, you know, I mean, Facebook as well, right? They're kind of tied up in all this. Just it's Google right now that's having that big kind of blowback um, because, you know, I, and again, just I think this open letter is like a ridiculous response to the whole thing. Um they popped it up everywhere and that it makes all sorts of assertions about like, oh, we're going to have to give your data, your private data to media companies. Oh, no. And like there's all these things we go, but that's not really what it says. And there's just lot, like, it's like they're trying to keep it confused. And I just wish everyone would come to the table in a way that goes like, what what can we do to actually fix issues or what can be done to set up a better Google News that would actually provide better value for everybody and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's just, I feel like this whole fight is coming from a place where we really do have kind of dinosaur media industry that is deciding the best response is to blame someone else rather than the fact that they've spent 20 years reporting on all these changes that are happening around us but not ever quite grasping what they might mean to the media business. Um, And then we've got, yeah, Google kind of just deciding, well, the best way to... Like, I would actually, I would give them so much more respect if they straight up said, 
we might just pull out of Australia. Then what are you going to do? Because <laughs> at least then I'd be like, ballsy and honest, you know, hey, rather than this sort of just let's just try to make, a, make it about confusion and fear and try to get the users to start telling the government they don't want it. I'm really interested to see where this goes, and I think we've got a long way ahead of us before we get even into the um, the realm of a satisfactory answer. Uh, but very quickly, this was not something you and I talked about talking about, but it just when you mentioned Facebook, it, it, it hit me. Oculus demanding that you now log in via Facebook. I have seen a lot of anger on Twitter about that today. A lot of people saying, well, that's me done with Oculus. A lot of people even saying, well, I haven't had a Facebook for so long. It's not funny. I don't want to get one. What do you think? You know, you use VR a lot more than me. Is this going to be an issue? Yeah, totally. I think it absolutely, like, you know, I think when Facebook went and bought Oculus, uh, you know, they kind of had the, the big dreams of having this amazing social virtual reality universe. And it's like they haven't delivered on any of that in a way that <laughs> you kind of feel like if they had actually started creating really awesome social VR products and then at some and been like going, but you can only get those cool features if you're on Facebook. You'd be like, well, there's a great feature that's available and it's been well demonstrated and it shows cool stuff. It gives me an incentive, whereas this is them kind of going, uh, well, we haven't really gotten much done with this thing over the last five years or however long it's been since they bought it. Um, let's just oh, enforce boy. the accounts thing now, will we? Just so we at least force people to integrate it and somehow we can then claim that it's you know oh look look at all these great things that are now part of the facebook universe you're like no 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 that's a pretty rubbish response someone found an empty document that had roi written on the top and a whole bunch of question marks and went oh (laughs) shit look the best response in the twitter thread when they announced it on the oculus account with so many just wonderful no 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 responses to things. Somebody, uh, somebody, you know, mentioned they went, Hey, at HTC Vive, you up? And Vive replied, Oh, yeah, we up. <laughs> All right, moving on. I have got a hot tip for you. Awesome. Um, remember, we talked about Watchmen a lot last year. Yes. Now, there is an HBO series out called Lovecraft Country, it is getting rave reviews. My hot tip is get out and read the book before you catch up on the TV show. I absolutely love the book. Matt Ruff is the author. It's from 2016. Um, It is an incredible look at Lovecraftian mythos through the lens of racial inequality in America. There's no other way of putting it. And it is amazing to see that take given Lovecraft's own, well, really quite strongly racist history. There's no other way around that. So Matt Ruff's take on it is incredibly fresh and incredibly needed. I have read the book four times. I think it is abs. Yeah, no, no, no. I keep going back to it. I keep going back to it. Probably about once a year, actually, I get through it. So I'm actually saving up the TV show. I want to watch it all in one hit. I don't want to watch it week to week, um, mainly because I know the story. I think with Watchmen, I had to watch it week to week because I enjoyed unpicking everything and trying to work out what was going to happen next. For this one, I do want to just binge it but boy oh boy oh boy get yourself out get a copy of it get the audio book whatever 
It is an absolutely amazing book. I don't care if you're normally a horror reader or not, if you're big into that Cthulhu mythos or not, you don't need to be either. It's incredibly well written and you will get something out of it no matter what style of novel you normally enjoy. And so what's the setting? Is it a modern setting or is it like, is it a country town or is it a... Uh, city, it, like it's fifties America. It's fifties cool. racially divided America. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, that sounds awesome. And there is a sense all the way through it that the, this this family, these people of color, when they are up against evil white magicians, wizards who truck with the older ones and the elder gods, the scariest thing in those sentences to them is the fact that these people are white. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. This, yeah, this sounds great. Okay, I'm gonna. It is so good. Grab it and uh, check it out before I yeah before I tune in because I was definitely looking at it thinking okay yeah I'm gonna watch this but no it sounds like well worth uh, a read ahead of watching it. Awesome. My tip. Uh, oh yep. I was gonna say, have you got a tip for me? I, but you just I jumped do. in. You just jumped in with a tip. It's yep. fine. What do you got? I do. So uh, this week, Microsoft Flight Simulator, the newest version has landed i think it's just straight up called microsoft flight simulator like then i think there's not a 2020 on it or anything um because you know there've been many versions since the 90s um and this really looks incredible because they've been able to use all of this kind of data from you know all around the there's essentially as they sort of said they're like there's a you know, global positioning data all across the world now that means they've been able to really accurately model like pretty much the whole damn planet um, and then have gone and like painstakingly modeled a whole bunch of um, the like most, you know, like well-known airports around the world. I think there's 30 or so and there's just all sorts of kind of cool details about it. But it is just so beautifully rendered and I feel like, the thing about it is that, like, this is one of those games that's notoriously slow. Like, you can play Microsoft Flight Simulator in real time and and just, you know, take off from an airport and then just kind of set autopilot and then go do other things and come back now and then and check in on it and how it's going. And then, you know, maybe 16 hours later, you land somewhere <laughs> like Dallas-Fort Worth from Sydney, you know, whatever it might be. Amazing stuff. Um and the thing about it that I think is really catching my attention at the moment is that idea that it's like this kind of, you know, magical escape from being locked down at the moment. And for those oh, of us who, oh. you know, who have spent a lot of our careers flying around the world at times, it's like there's an element of really missing being kind of out there and just kind of taking off and going to interesting places to kind of cover cool events Um you know, and there's all sorts of issues wrapped up in traveling on a regular basis. I absolutely know it in the environmental sense. Um, but there's just that element of this game kind of being able to recapture this feeling of going somewhere in a way that we can't right now. And I feel like it's there's just a beautiful timing for this release in the end that, you know, it it always has its hardcore fan base. But I feel like that fan base is kind of broadened back out to so many people who have whether it is people who played the old ones and suddenly like, oh, cool, there's a new Microsoft Flight Simulator. Or people like me who it's like, I, I checked them out once or twice, but it just feels like it's filling a hole right now, which is really pleasant. And it's not about like action and speedy, exciting gameplay. It's absolutely about the simulation 
of going somewhere. <laughs> Did they miss a beat? Should there be a flight simulator where you get to choose to be in, I don't know, economy and you're not actually flying the plane, you're just a passenger and you've actually got a movie in front of you but you can tilt your head and watch whatever little bit of the movie that the person in front of you is watching that you can see between the seat backs because that's always far more interesting than what you're actually watching? Someone needs a mod. Someone needs to mod this. <laughs> So that you can walk in, walk down to economy. <laughs> Just tell me this: Have you downloaded it yet? Because I have heard that because of that data, because of the clearly beautiful work that Bing's Maps has done to create all of this uh, flightscapes, I've heard it's huge. Yeah, it's ninety-one gigs, and Oof. and it's it's definitely Oof. it's one of those downloads that I get the feeling is it's slowed it's slower than it should be based on the fact that I've got, you know, 100 megabit internet connection, that I'm like, yeah, this actually won't take too long. And it's it, it was a slow download, and I think it was partly because, well, uh, you know, whatever service it's on, it's, um, you know, whether it's getting hammered or, well, though, I mean, it's, it's run by Microsoft, right? So, like, they will be, it's probably on their fancy Azure servers somewhere and it's, like, spitting it up into the internet. Um, but definitely something to keep in mind if you're on a slower internet connection is that's 91, 91 uh, gigabytes of, uh, yeah, magical, beautiful simulation. But the thing that kind of scares me about it as well is the idea that it kind of feels like, that version of the future that we've often talked about where, you know, you joke about that idea of going, hey, kids, come and see what zoos look used to look like. Oh, ah, no. Like, let's, ah, let's walk through a oh. virtual forest, kids, because there's no more forest left. Hey, isn't this beautiful? It's like we're having this real moment where it's like going, come and experience what it felt like to fly somewhere, everybody, because remember flying? We used to fly places. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. Well, on that cheery note, <laughs> I'll go set it up for download. Um, You'll get to thanks, try it. Thanks, Shay. That was great. <laughs> yeah. And, look, it's available as part of uh, Microsoft Game Pass, which is definitely one of those it things, is. you know, where Microsoft having that, you know, bullish attitude towards going, yeah, we're going to give you a monthly subscription service that has good, fresh, new games attached to it. Um, when they're the people who funded the game, they're like going, hell yeah, we'll just take people's monthly fee to get access to this because it's going to take them two months to yeah. download it. Um, or <laughs> maybe not. Anyway, <laughs> let's wrap it up. Uh, Nick, always good to chat. Where can people Likewise. find your stuff? Oh, look, mostly on Twitter these days. I'm at dr underscore Nick, Dr. Nick. Awesome. And if people do indeed have more of those retrospective thoughts on things that people remember from gaming that mm. would confuse young gamers or things they think young gamers today might end up telling the kids about 20 years from now. That'll be interesting for you to tell us. So tell Nick, tell me. I'm at Seamus on Twitter. Uh, and then, of course, you can reach out via ByteSide, at ByteSide on Twitter, at the ByteSide on Instagram, and slash ByteSide on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> and then you can also email ask at ByteSide.com. Com. Thanks again, Nick. Always a pleasure. And we'll see you all again next time.